Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, ETSU's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Today I want to talk about trimodality treatment in muscle invasive bladder cancer, which is a, uh, a topic that um, I haven't talked a lot about, if at all, on the podcast, but there was a, uh, an article in, uh, in this week's Lancet Oncology um, that, that talks about this, so I did a bit of a deep dive on trimodality treatment for muscle invasive bladder cancer, and sometimes you'll hear the term bladder sparing or bladder preserving approach or organ preservation, sometimes used interchangeably with this trimodality treatment um, term. So trimodality uses all three ways you can treat cancer, um, local surgical resection, or local resection removal of the tumor, one, radiation, two, and chemotherapy, three. So the, um, the quote, gold standard, unquote, for uh, treating muscle invasive bladder cancer, where cancer uh, of the bladder has grown through the muscularis um, uh, that, that uh, surrounds the bladder is radical cystectomy, removing the entire bladder. Um, uh, usually that includes um, you know, neoadjuvant chemotherapy with cisplatin prior to surgery, and then you remove the whole bladder. Okay? Now the bladder is obviously there for a reason to hold urine and uh, you have to have a way to get rid of urine. And if you don't have a bladder, then you're just constantly making, uh, you could, I guess, connect your ureters to your urethra and then you're just constantly leaking uh, urine um, from your urethra. So after radical cystectomy, there are two t- common procedures that are done. As I understand it, one would be an ileal conduit where you take a part of the ileum connect that part of the small intestine uh, from the ureters uh, to a stoma on the outside, an ostomy bag. Uh, and then you store urine in a bag and you empty it out when you're done. As you can imagine, doesn't sound probably the most appealing. Uh, the other would be creating a neobladder where you take part of the ileum and create a, a new bladder that probably has a smaller uh, storage capacity. Now, the uh, the ability to do that is very much dependent on the location and, and the surgeon and, and or the urologist and can they do that with what's left after removing uh, the bladder. Um, so for that reason, for many, many years, people have been trying to do a bladder sparing approach, which is basically let's not cut out the bladder because maybe the cancer won't come back. And if the cancer doesn't come back and they're cured without having to remove the bladder, that's great. Okay. Now, obviously, the risk of that is the cancer does come back in the bladder and then the patient goes on. To, to die from bladder cancer when they could have been cured by just removing the bladder um, uh, on the first occurrence of muscle invasive bladder cancer. Uh, and there is no worse feeling in this business than um, I can think of a patient getting neoadjuvant treatment to, to make the surgery easier when they could have been cured just with surgery. And two occasions that stick in, in my memory of the patient dying from sepsis complications from, from systemic chemotherapy when they could have been uh, in one case, possibly cured with surgery alone, and the other case, definitely cured with surgery alone. Uh, but trying to, to, you know, to do what's best for the patient in the highest hopes, which is this organ-preserving approach. Okay, so that is the vein that we're talking about: trimodality treatment for muscle invasive bladder cancer. Now, um, oftentimes, muscle invasive bladder cancer will happen after. Uh, you know, it could be their first occurrence of bladder cancer, or it's not uncommon to have several in situ or non-muscle invasive bladder cancers that get removed and come back and finally become muscle invasive. Um, there are, um, the you know, I mentioned there are um, for stage 2 and stage 3A, muscle invasive bladder cancer. Our favorite guidelines have two category 1 recommendations. One is 
uh, new adjuvant chemotherapy followed by radical cystectomy. And the other is this bladder preserving or trimodality treatment. Okay, so trimodality treatment includes maximal TURPT, transurethral resection of bladder tumor, T-U-R-B-T, TURPT. So get as much of it out, all of it out. In fact, you have to get it all out. Maximal TURPT and then chemosensitizing um, chemotherapy with radiation. So that's going to be like cisplatin, Five of you and mitomycin probably is most evidence. Low-dose gemcitabine may be a little bit behind those two options. Um, now, not everyone is a candidate for a bladder-sparing approach. Historically, the folks who got the bladder-preserving approach were those who, you know, these are older guys often um, with bladder cancer, but they're older patients who have smoked for a long time, and maybe they have such bad lungs that we don't think they can actually tolerate the surgery. Okay, They're, they're not medically fit. For the surgery, so you try the bladder-preserving approach, okay? But in those who are fit enough for it, this, these are the patients that you could consider a bladder-preserving approach would be those without moderate or severe hydronephrosis, probably ideally no hydronephrosis, those without extensive disease um, or multifocal in situ disease, right? Because uh, these tumors can spread all the way around the inside of the tumor, and if you're going to cut out the muscle-invasive bladder cancer, you don't want non-in-muscle bladder cancer there as well because it's going to come back eventually. And then you've already removed the integrity of the bladder by doing your maximal TURP. And then a smaller tumor, a tumor less than six centimeters in size. Those would be your, your ideal candidates here. So as I mentioned, there are two category one recommendations. One is the, the what people would call the gold standard, which is new adjuvant cisplatin chemotherapy uh, followed by radical cystectomy. Um, with I, nowadays, based on the Vesper study, dose dense MVAC would be the preferred regimen over cisplatin and gemcitabine. That evidence to support that is based on a, a study from uh, NEJM, New England Journal of Medicine, 2003 by Grossman and colleagues. It shows a much higher rate of pathologic complete response rate if you do new adjuvant cisplatin versus not, then getting cystectomy, and a trend towards overall survival, be, survival benefit, p value 0.06 but the median OS was 77 versus 46 months. So big separation, if it had been powered appropriately, maybe you, you probably do see that statistical significance. So that's kind of, you know, fairly strong evidence to support that. The evidence for this bladder-preserving approach, there's lots of single-center studies that all kind of demonstrate up to a 20% recurrence rate by having the bladder remain. Um, we have phase three data that um, chemo plus radiation is better than radiation alone, but that wasn't compared to straight right away um, cystectomy. Um, so we don't have a comparison of this bladder preserving approach versus the neoadjuvant chemo followed by a radical cystectomy approach. Um, there was, um, and I'll quote here from, from Zlata and colleagues in this paper that I'm referencing, quote, multiple randomized trials comparing bladder preservation with radical cystectomy ended due to insufficient accrual. Strong clinician and patient preferences affect willingness to undergo randomization and acceptance of treatment allocation in bladder cancer. Further trials are unlikely. Likely what they are saying without saying it is that people want to try the bladder preserving approach because they don't want to deal with, you know, that the complications of the bladder surgery. And if there's an 80% chance I don't need the surgery, um, and 80%, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here on some of these numbers, then that seems like a, a worthwhile risk to take of the cancer coming back. I can still have then what's called the radical cystectomy afterwards, okay? Now, this is an example in practice where there was a study design that was done and the patients and the prescribers didn't want to enroll patients because they didn't like one of their 50-50 options of what they would have to do if they went on the study. So just keep this in mind when we have 
substandard control arms. We don't have to peep as a society. We don't have to enroll people on these studies if they have bad control arms, like placebo uh, in FLT3 mutated AML. Uh, we don't need to put them on placebo or quizartinib. You know, you don't have to enroll them if there's a 50-50 chance your patient's going to get placebo, okay? So um, because we're not going to have these randomized controlled clinical trials, these investigators um, did a, um, a radical cystectomy versus trimodality therapy for muscle invasive bladder cancer, colon, a multi-institutional propensity score matched weighted analysis. Um, so this is basically looking at three institutions who had done what they had done in the past and putting all their data together. Now, propensity score matching is um, kind of like an observational study on steroids, but still uh, less, um, less high quality than a randomized controlled tr clinical trial. So we have uh, a center from Toronto, a center from Boston, and a center from Los Angeles. So three centers, which is technically multi-institutional. But it's not like millions of institutions, it's three. So at Toronto, they could have had trimodality treatment or radical cystectomy, because that's what they did. Now, they also did neoadjuvant chemo prior to uh, chemo and RT. At Boston, um, they, they had adjuvant chemo um, or um, after their trimodality treatment, or they could have done radical cystectomy. And then at LA, they were just doing radical cystectomy. Um, so there was no trimodality treatment done at this LA center. Right away, that speaks to the, um, the different treatment approaches that it's individualized based on the center, based on the urologist, based on the medical oncologist, based on the radiation oncologist, and whatever you know notions they have coming into this. And kind of tells you there's, um, there's ambiguity in this space, uh, what to do. Now, they included people in this, uh, not just uh, stage two and three, but some, um, well, so, some of the 3A is, is a T4 lesion. Um, 3A could also be a T4A or N1, which weren't necessarily included in this particular study. You can imagine if you have lymph nodes that um, that a, a bladder-preserving approach, you know, is, is less likely to be uh, uh, successful. Um, so I just want to talk about the baseline characteristics of this, and then I'll talk a bit about propensity scoring as much as I can. So in those who got radical cystectomy, if you look at the baseline demographics of those with radical cystectomy and those who got the trimodality treatment, the number of folks who had in situ carcinoma, 26% in the radical cystectomy versus 21%. So this is an example, and there'll be four more examples where those with the radical cystectomy have a higher risk of disease recurrence because they have they were they had more likely had in situ disease. Uh, T3 lesions, 18% versus 10%. Hydronephrosis at baseline, 23% versus 12%. Uh, having received uh, perioperative chemo, neoadjuvant or adjuvant, so not with radiation, but on top of this, 40% versus 56%. And this isn't in the guidelines that you do neoadjuvant or adjuvant chemo on top of uh, chemosensitizing radiation after terped. In all, in all four of these scenarios, the radical cystectomy group is at a higher risk of recurrence. Uh, and so obviously that is a confounder you cannot fully control for in an observational study. And that's what the propensity scoring tries to do is to say, hey, you know these people that have in situ disease, they have a little bit higher propensity to have their disease recur. So let's weight that appropriately and then redo our calculations to try to make this as equal as possible. And you can see they're using logistic regression and then taking some numbers, some fractions, and weighting things. I don't fully understand it. Um, I will say they do two different propensity scoring methods and they present both of these. They seem to be in line. There probably are many other ways they could have done this. Um, and you know the, the author's results here are 
um, that uh, you know these results support that trimodality therapy in the setting of multidisciplinary shared decision making should be offered to all suitable candidates with muscle invasive bladder cancer and not just those with significant comorbidities for whom surgery is not an option. A lot of caveats there based off of some less than ideal methodology. They do admit though the ideal methodology at randomized controlled clinical trial, we're not going to get. This may be the best data we have to go off of this. So a couple things to point out here in their interpretation here. Uh, multidisciplinary shared decision-making. You need the urologist, you need the radiation oncologist, you need the medical oncologist, and you need the patient to understand uh, the risks of this. Uh, I'll also point out some very important caveats here in the discussion they bring out. One is that tri-modality treatment, quote, requires stringent follow-up because the bladder is still there, so the cancer can come back. In, in this um, observational study they're reporting, there was 11% of muscle invasive bladder cancer occurrence. That's one in 10, a little bit, a little bit more than that. That's pretty common that the cancer is coming back. Uh, and 20% had non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, which is less serious than the muscle invasive bladder cancer. Um, they also are stressing that management needs to be done at centers that are comfortable with doing a, cyst a salvage cystectomy after radiation, you know, generally you're you're trying to cure these tumors with the the like the low dose cisplatin radiation, and you're giving all the radiation you're supposed to give to that organ. In case the bladder, that's going to hit the surrounding tissue. It's going to make surgery more complicated, and you need to have surgeons that are familiar with doing that. Our urologists familiar with doing that sort of surgery, which is going to create probably an urban rural divide, and who has access to this this organ uh, preserving approach. Um, and in this study, 13% of these folks, again, a little bit more than 110, went on to have a salvage cystectomy. Um, so there obviously are, are uh, you know, not just the overall survival um, potential differences, which we don't know that there are any, uh, disease-specific survival, and then quality of life, which wasn't necessarily assessed in, in this particular paper. Um, but I, uh, so it's not great evidence. Uh, it, I don't think it's necessarily practice changing. There's this been continual drumbeat and trend uh, over the years of, of trying to, to use more bladder-preserving approaches um, in the absence of really high-quality phase three studies. And we don't have that. This is the best that we have um, so far, uh, I believe. And there, there's lots of stuff published about trimodality treatment um, or, or bladder-preserving approaches or organ-preserving pres approaches. Um, but it really does require a lot of people getting together and talking about it in a you know, you're going to have to have tumor boards to do this the, the right way, I think. Uh, and many places are doing this uh, quite well. Um, so anyway, I will link to this in the show notes, but uh, I thought it was uh, an opportunity to talk about something that is a, maybe a little bit misunderstood when you hear trimodality treatment uh, and what that actually, uh, what that actually means. Um, and the last thing that I'll say is that not every bladder cancer is going to lend itself possible to, to these things because if you think of the bladder as, as, uh, as a basketball, that tumor could be very near to the urethra. It could be very near to one or both ureters or, you know, there, there are going to be certain tumors that are going to be easier to do a bladder preserving approach because of, of the terpt is more likely to be maximal. Um, anyway, there are a lot of variables that go into this. Uh, so it really does require specialists to, to make these decisions together. That's it. That's the last thing I'll say. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeatNib, and you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.
Thank you.